everybody, and welcome to the Patty G Show. I am your host, Patty G, here with GMFS's own T. Brown. We're going to learn about what they're doing in the community, how they got started, and a little bit of the back history, as well as some of the community involvement they've been doing in recent years, what they've got planned in the future, and just all around the Baton Rouge community and what's going on. Before we get started, just a reminder, this show is sponsored by Alvarez Construction. We love what they're doing. We love how they're being in the community, and I'm sure that T, that T is going to have some homogenous stories behind it with our sponsors and everything else going on. So welcome, T. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me here. Absolutely. I appreciate it of your time for coming out to Uncle Earl's and sitting down with me for another hour and And chatting. By the way, your sponsors are fantastic. Oh my gosh, yes. Great group. Amazing product and fantastic family. Oh yeah. What what they've got going on with the St. Jude Dream Home is just incredible. So, but we're here to talk about GMFS. So what is GMFS for those that may not be aware? Well, we're a mortgage company. Um, we're based here in Baton Rouge. We started in 1999 and, you know, we have over 300 employees. We're in, we're in eight states. Uh, principally, our focus is in the Louisiana market on a retail side. We have a third party origination platform where we buy loans from other um, brokers or mortgage companies uh, in the six state area. And, you know, we've been very fortunate. We started with 24 employees in 1999. There were four of us that left an organization, including my father, that that we were very um, significant part of that had an untimely and unfortunate demise. Um, but we had to pick our, you know, we had to we had to do what we had to do. And we started GMFS. And uh, it's been an amazing almost 22 years. It'll be 22 years. We opened our doors on May 3rd, uh, 1999. And like I tell people, we've had 19 and a half good ones, um, <laughs> two and a half really, you know, challenging years. Um, first, you know, six months we started with difficult. And then, you know, the year and a half, two years um, during 2007, 2008, which uh, was difficult for so many um, businesses. And certainly our business as a mortgage company, we were leading indicators to the demise of the economy. Right. Uh, and so we were we were somewhat responsible as an industry for what, what ended up happening. But it's been great. We've been really fortunate. And, you know, one of the things that we as an organization have been focused on from the very beginning is, you know, GMFS, you know, changing lives. And, right. and, and that means something other than just a tagline to us. It means for us, it's how do we first change the lives of our employees? You know, because if we can change the lives of our employees, our employees are engaged and want to change the lives of our customers. And then with that, we can change change the community that we're involved in. And that's something that's really significant to us. Absolutely. And then the jingle just plays in your head all day long. <laughs> we were talking about it yesterday on our show before we got started. And I started, they said, who's tomorrow's guest? I said, oh, we got T. Brown coming from GMFS. And we started singing the song. It was, it's still been in my head all day long. So the marketing works well with that jingle. But so how do you even get started with a mortgage company? I mean, in 99, this is pre the technology that we're accustomed to today. What do those steps look like from getting started? Well, you know, um, there were, so my grandfather started a company in 1948 and um, ran it for many years, became a public company. My father ran it. Uh, and was responsible for it um, until um, really March um, 1st of, of 99. And the Russian ruble and long-term management capital and the financial markets froze. And we were we were securitizing mortgages at the time. The business was sound, but the financial structure that we were operating in um, was not. And so it became somewhat of a death spiral um, where we weren't able to securitize the loans. We had financial covenants that we were responsible for and we weren't able to meet those. And ultimately the company went into bankruptcy. I ran a small um, piece of that called Ginger May and um, Jeff Weston, Billy Maxwell and Tom DeArmond were four of my partners along with my dad that, that when United companies failed, we took part of our Ginger May group and started GMFS. And we didn't really, we were 30, 31 and 32 years old. Um, oh wow! So this is young, young. We age. were young, but we were fearless. We didn't have any other. We didn't have any other. Yeah. We didn't know what else to do, right? So, so we raised, um, you know, through through um, family and and some friends, you know, a million and a half dollars, and started uh, GMFS and uh, had twenty four employees when we started. And you know, we it's it was it's. I mean, we had folding tables when we we opened. We were the first new tenant in Bon Carré, or then or was Bon Marche became Bon Carré. And it, we looked like we were a FEMA operation. I mean, seriously, it was 24 folding tables we bought from Sam's. We Our server was under one of the desks, uh, certainly not protocol today's world of, of security, but um, 
And, you know, we just started getting on the phone, got on the road, and we um, went and see, saw some of our old customers and started a direct-to-consumer business and and just had to figure it out. Um, and so we've been very fortunate with a lot of, I mean, it's all about people, right? It's about yeah. people that we work with and people that we're, we're involved with and our customers and you know, we, we've, we've really been, uh, we've really been blessed in a lot of ways. Absolutely. And that's the, the, the conversation around starting something when you're young and you have that, just that bold, that ambitious spirit within you that you may not have experienced failure in the past. You don't know what it is. So you're not afraid to right. say, Hey, let's buy some folding tables and let's stuff a server underneath it, yeah. which at the time was, you know, much more bulky than we have now. I mean, now oh, yeah. you can fit a server in like something the size or in the cloud. Yeah. Or all in the cloud. <laughs> I don't even have a server. Right. right. But it's that 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 fear that you kind of have to overcome as an entrepreneur to start something, especially that big. I mean, you're you're talking about we're going to start lending out money to people to buy a home. Like it's not just, you know, you're selling, you know, a beer or you're selling this. It's like, no, we're going to mortgage out this valuable piece of property that people are going to live in. Like if something goes wrong, their livelihood, their lives are in jeopardy and it's on us. You know, and it's like when you sit back and I'm sure if you analyze that at a younger age before you started, like, whoa, man, we don't want to do this. No, you're right. In, in, in the same sense, if we're unsuccessful in, in the credit that we, under, that we write, we end up having losses. Right. And so we can be out of business quick. Yeah. Too. Oh, 100%. So, you know, so you, you've got to balance to making sure you're doing right by your customers as well as right by the, the financial obligations that you have to, to the company. Yeah. And so you went through that that initial round of raising friends and family funds. That is for some entrepreneurs a very crucial time. How did you, I guess, kind of have the, the the guts or the the knowledge to think, hey, let me go ask my friends and family to for some money? I mean, what, were you promising them anything? If for entrepreneurs trying to get started, they need to know, like, hey, are we do we have to promise them anything, or is just, hey, give me money and watch me succeed? Well, I mean, at that time we were we were we had about a a sixty day. Um, period of time that we needed, we needed to get open because we were going to lose some of our opportunities. And ironically, um, you know, um, Michael Hackett and, and Brother Hackett and um, our first office that we had while we were waiting to, to move into Bonqueray was above the animal uh, clinic on Perkins Road. So we were upstairs um, of that animal clinic trying to uh, negotiate contracts and dogs are barking downstairs. And, <laughs> and, uh, and so brother Hackett was very gracious to give us, you know, 30 days for us to kind of come and go in a place to be able to use the telephone and, and do that. But I mean, I think for, for us at the time is like, we, we had a, we had a sense that we needed to get going and we need to go. And, and, you know, we really didn't have another, none of us really wanted to go work for another company. Mm-hmm. Um, we all had an opportunity to kind of be a little independent and have that, that kind of feel of where, you know, we had some control of the things that were going on and we wanted to take full control of the things that were going on. And, you know, fortunately it worked out, but I think for young entrepreneurs and I, and we're, I'm fortunate to have an opportunity. I've been involved in brew. And, um, I mentioned to you earlier that we started the J. Terrell Brown venture challenge at, at LSU or not started it, but we, we've, uh, we've helped endow that. And, and that's a significant opportunity for, for young college kids that are entrepreneurs to be able to to be able to come and, and pitch their ideas and get some feedback. And, you know, I think it's part of it is just, you know, you, when you see these young, or even not just young, any entrepreneur for that matter, that they have an idea that they're passionate about and they're willing to just make the steps that they have to in order to succeed. They're willing to sacrifice. And the sacrifice that goes into being an entrepreneur, you're not getting paid much. You're spending a lot of time. You're stressed out. You know, you've got a lot of anxiety. You're definitely not sleeping, (laughs) you know, and uh, but you're passionate about whatever it is that you're that that uh, is your call. And and, you know, and that's fun for us having had that opportunity once to to be involved and and start really starting a business. And and I would encourage anybody. I think that probably, you know, I went to got my banking finance degree. I got an MBA. But until you have to make payroll, until you really have to sit there and say, we have payroll coming Friday. And we have employees. And we have employees. Um, yeah. How are we, you know, what are the decisions that we're going to make in order to, because to, that's an obligation, right? Once you take on an employee, that's an obligation you have to them. You know, they have an obligation to you to perform, but you have an obligation to them to provide them the opportunity that you promised that, that right. you were going to provide. Yeah. And that's for, for every entrepreneur, you're okay with working for free because you have that, that vision, that push to get to the end goal or to grow the business. But an employee, they're trying to make a living. You know, and unless you've got some employees or you've got a unique 
pay structure mm-hmm. with benefit package and everything for you know some ownership and some skin in the game. They're only there to do their job to make sure their the company moves smoothly. You're there to make sure it grows and they can come tomorrow. Right. You know, you got to make sure that everybody still has the ability to show up tomorrow. And then at the end of the week, you can sign that check knowing that they're not all going to bounce. You know, no, and, no, you're and, right. and some entrepreneurs, it's come Friday, they're freaking out. You know, they're, <laughs> they're having to move money from their personal account that they've sure. been saving, you know, to make that payroll. Because like you said, at the end of the day, you have an obligation as a business owner, as an entrepreneur to make payroll. You do. And, and you know, our biggest asset uh, as an organization um, are the employees, right? And again, right. like you said, they have a choice. Every day they go home and they can decide whether they want to come back to work. Mm-hmm. They don't have to come back to work with us. Yeah. They can go somewhere else. And, you know, we want to make sure we provide an environment for them that they really want to come and they want to encourage other people to come. And they, they're proud to be part of the organization. And, and that's why I think, you know, being involved in um, giving back to your community and, and doing the things that, that you can let, you know, and, during different periods of our, our time in this 22 years, we've been able to do more or less just because of, of the financial success of the business. Right. And, you know, so we take advantage of the times when, when things are good and, and do as much as and more than we possibly can. And, and that's where the pandemic really for us, um, and this was about, I guess, a week or so, uh, a year ago, it was uh, what would have been St. Patty's Day, we all, uh, we all remember that weekend. Well, I, I remember that weekend right. very well. And uh, I was talking to our, our management group, um, some of the guys I mentioned already and others, and I said, you know, guys, I said, this is, this is really shaping up to be something that we've never, yeah. we've never experienced. I mean, you go to the grocery store and there's not a toilet, roll of toilet paper on the shelf. And, you know, and, and people are just really, you know, pulling back and moving into their homes and, and kind of isolating and fear, there's so much fear here. And, you know, we started talking about the businesses that were going to be most impacted. And for us, because of the uncertainty, interest rates dropped sub- substantially. Yeah. Which and is great, great from the consumer end. Consumer end. And so we, we realized that there would be a great opportunity for people to refinance. Our business was, was kind of a, on a, on an upward trajectory. And so we, we said, let's, let's talk about so restaurants, right? We knew restaurants were going to be significantly impacted yeah. because it's, things could be shut down. What's well, the hospitality industry? The stuff yeah. that's not necessary. You know, it's not a a uh, what's what was the term that they used for workers? Non essential. Non essential. That's what right. it was. It was a non essential business because people could cook at home. But within South Louisiana, the hospitality industry is is essential. Huge. It's essential. It's essential. It it's is essential, essential here. Yeah. It's essential here. It is. That's part of our culture. And it's so we we came up with the idea that that um, we'd want to start supporting the restaurants. And first thing we did is we realized that, you know, the homeless, um, you know, with people being fearful of, of, you know, COVID and being exposed to anybody for that matter. And so um, through our relationships with um, um, Patrick Veluza and, and Stephen Hightower, we coordinated with St. Vincent Paul to deliver um you know, 300 meals uh, for lunch and dinner um, uh, for two weeks down to, actually it's 500 for lunch and dinner for two weeks down to St. Vincent Paul. A lot of meals. So, yeah, so it's around 8,000 meals that we were delivered, that we, they provided, we helped, uh, we, we financed. They, they of course, took a, a piece of that by reducing their cost. And, and it was great because we finished up two weeks and then there was another benefactor that said, hey, that's a great idea. I'd like to continue it on for another two weeks. Yeah. And so- that was just kind of our first foray into into that. And so, we, of course, we've done the BR serving, and we've done some opportunities of serving the police um, with Monjunis of six hundred meals. And you know, one of the things that that you you start when you start doing that, you've, you the the feeling that you get um, is you get fulfilled, right? You get there's a fulfillment 100%. to it's, that. It is fulfillment, and it's realizing that not every industry was hit the same, right? You know, for. We, we explain it within so the accounting world that I'm in, right, is your financials still have to go out. You still have to file a tax return. For a restaurant to close down for two weeks, that is two weeks of meals they're not getting back. Right. Like, for example, for Uncle Earl's to be closed down for so long, that's people walking through the door. They can't get back. The numbers just don't work out. But for some businesses, it's like we, you know, some businesses started thriving through COVID yep. because of just their business model or they pivoted. 
and they learned how to go about. So it's those that are doing well, recognize how they can give back to then help build what Baton Rouge is all about as community is massive. And then you start building this chain reaction like we were talking before is you start doing something, somebody else wants to start doing something. And then you see this community really come together, which we've seen over the past year and how strong Baton Rouge is and what we love are the people. And we yep. love taking care of people. We really do. And, you know, our, our good friends at, uh, at Guarantee Broadcasting, Flynn Falsher, used to work with us and uh, been a long lifetime friend of ours. And um, we heard that they were going to do a deal with the food bank and they were going to put up $25,000 and work on getting people to match that. So we're like, well, that's a great idea. We want to join y'all in that. So we'll put up $25,000. And so collectively, we promoted it, they promoted it, and we ended up getting a total of $125,000 for the food bank. Wow. And so it, and so then also a friend of ours, John D'Angelo at Investar Bank, he um, was working with the Urban League on doing micro grants, um, and he committed $100,000. And I called John. I said, John, that's a great idea. I mean, that's super. And they ended up getting a million. We put up 50000 but they ended up getting a million dollars um, for micro grants that the Urban League is distributing to, to disadvantaged businesses. And, and so a lot of the things aren't our ideas. You know, some of the stuff that we, yeah. we're just saying, hey, we want to get on it, board, it, right? Exactly. It's and, that, like we said, it's the power of one. The power yeah. of one person to say, hey, let's do this idea in the community. Let's help people out. Let's grow the community. Let's do what we can. And then everybody else kind of trickles in and says, well, great, we'll get behind you. We'll back you. We'll support you. And it's that support system that's so powerful here in the local area. No, it, it's it's really it's been uh, it's been a great opportunity for us to get to know a lot of small businesses. And you know, Michael Hackett and Michael's joined us as our community development, uh, not just a liaison but executive. And mm. you know, we there's a bank that we do a lot of business with that's based out of out of Dallas, and they have a lot of community um, branches throughout uh, the uh, the West. And I happened to get this email, and it was talking about their go local effort and so in their communities and they have this opportunity where people could go into a local restaurant and they register and then they get drawn for they do it for during the christmas holiday and they do a drawing for 200 dollars whatever and so mike and i are talking about i said this is a great idea i said so what we want to do is we want to we want to do a go local here in baton rouge but we don't want to do it for a month we want to do it for six months a year maybe forever yeah and and so we're committed to doing this go local. We have over 100 businesses that are part of it. And every month we draw two people that have gone to one of these local businesses and registered. And each of them, that, whoever gets drawn or get, you know, wins, gets a $500 gift card. And Which is huge. Yeah. And so it's been great. We've, so we've had two drawings. So we've, you know, we had, we've had four winners. And it's been really neat to see you know, the response from, from those folks and, and kind of, and the businesses, and and so we're now starting a competition, not competition, but uh, where the businesses, where the more the business, the more people register from that business, the greater chance that business is going to have an opportunity to win, you know, a every month a free lunch for that business, and so yeah, but just and we're doing commercials with them, and it's just really been a great way to kind of intertwine, you know, what we're doing with the community and what what they need, and and so you, I'm sure you know Jenny Peters. Um, and so she came to us with an idea with, uh, the children's hospital mm. and, and it's a program where, um, we're trying to encourage the, the patients to do the rehabilitation and, and inspiring them to, with a little checklist and achieve it. And, um, and so as they go along the way at the end of, at the end of their successful completion, they'll get a pair of shoes. Okay. And so they get bandanas, they get T-shirts, they get all these little prizes along the way. And the nurses participate too. And so the nurses end up getting a pair of shoes. And so it's, it's, been, it's been going on for about three months and it's really impactful. Oh, yeah. And it's the little things like that. You know, it doesn't, you don't need all this money to come in and do all this at one time. It's making the small effort that then grows to have this massive impact, which is what GMFS is doing. You know, it's little pieces that you are putting in place now to then have other people come in and follow. And then at the end of the day, everybody in Baton Rouge is building their community up. You know, we're all trying to grow it together because yep. we all live here, we all work here. So let's make it a better place for everyone involved. Absolutely, I mean, it's a, look, it's important to us, right? I yeah. mean, you know, we, we have um, uh, over, we have 50,000 customers we service, probably about 25,000 in the greater Baton Rouge area. Mm -hmm. And so, 
the more successful this community is, then the greater opportunity is for, for folks to continue to see their homes appreciate mm-hmm. and, and generate the wealth that they want and the comfort that they want and the stability that they need. Yeah. And then on the flip side, you've got, well, you said 300 employees working for you. So you're touching probably 1,500 mouths. Yep. You're feeding 1,500 people in the local community just by employing those 300. You know, we had Sebastian and I had that conversation when he was on was how many mouths do you touch within your business? Think about that yeah. when you look at your employees. It's like, hey, we're making an impact. You know, why do we, why does the entrepreneur, why does a business owner get up every single day? They get up to make the impact of their employees because how far that reach alone is. You know, not just the reach of all the customers you have, the 25,000 or the 50,000 customers you got, it's the people that work for you. Absolutely. You're impacting them and then they're putting their money back in the economy. If they know that you've got these deals going on that you can win $500 worth of gift cards, they're going to go and spend money there. Sure. And they're going to tell their friends. And it's just this community, which I love seeing that community aspect self grow within itself. You know, it, you're, you're right. It, it, we used to, or used to, a year ago, uh, a week from now, um, you know, we had over 200 employees in our operations center. And so that Monday or Sunday when the governor announces that not, you know, if you're not an essential employee, non-essential employees have to, you know, go home. I, consider myself an essential employee the whole time right. only because I can't work from home. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> For X, Y, Z reasons. <laughs> we won't, we won't go there. That's right. I still have a piece of paper in my truck that says I'm an essential employee. <laughs> I was like, I've got to go to work. Um, and so, you know, we moved everybody on Monday. We was like, look, everybody needs to go. And we've had people work remotely, but we never had, you know, 250 people work remotely. Which is huge. I mean, that's yeah. the, the amount of computers you got to make sure everybody has, the amount of the processing capability, your server, whether in the cloud or physical, has to be able to compute and handle that right. much people, that many people dialing in from different IP addresses, different servers. It was a disaster in. for the first four hours. Uh, and I only bet. four hours. Really? And so we were uh, talking to our IT guys and we're like, well, what's going on? I said, well, we need more servers. I said, well, how much are servers? They said, well, we, we are, they're in a package. Like they're all in the cloud. They don't cost us anything more than what we already pay. I said, well, give everybody a server. <laughs> I'll just add as many servers as we need. And they did. And I mean, it's been seamless, you know, largely since then. And, and you know, one of the things that, that, that's come from this and people talk about like, you know, what do you see the future of your office? And I see the future of our office being very, very flexible. Um, we have many people that are working. They may be across the river. They may be in Ascension or, or Central or, or even just, you know, heck, the southern part of, of Baton Rouge. And, you know, it's 20 minutes or 30 minutes or 45 minutes to, to get to the office. And they've said many times, you know, I'm more productive. Um, I don't have, I can have more flexibility of my hours. I can get up early. I can do it this period of time. I can take my yeah. kid to school. I, you know, and it gives them that, that opportunity to be able to kind of manage their day. The only thing I worry about is culture, right? I mean, just the, how do we continue to to keep the culture that that we're very proud of and something that we're very very focused on, uh, and not for my long, not for the folks that have been longtime employees, because I think we can we still can continue to keep that. It's for a lot of the new folks that we've hired that didn't, don't have not had the experience that of what our organization was, the family aspect of of what the family organ, organization was, and so yeah, it's the People at home, especially if they're new, they don't know, oh, is this the norm? Right. You know, and people had to make the shift early on to work remotely. Like we as, a, as an accounting firm, we were mostly, you know, be in the office, work with, with paper, work with this, work with that. And for us to shift to go entirely virtual for, I think we went virtual for two months. Yeah. You know, and it was a major shift. I was on the IT side and having to make sure everybody was able to log in, everybody was able to sync up, everybody had a computer to do so. But having that shift to everybody going virtually instantly, some businesses didn't make it for two weeks and they had to figure it, they had to say, hey, take two weeks off, take a week off, we figure out what we have to do. And now it's like, oh, a Zoom meeting, yeah, easy peasy. Yeah. But what that does, and in turn, what we've seen from that is the growth that is attached to that virtual world. Not just because people don't have to drive there anymore, people don't have to go into office and spend 20 minutes on the road, 20 minutes back, mm-hmm. you're 40 minutes away from your family. If you can spend that time, which is everyone's most valuable asset, with the people you love, that incentivizes your employees to be happier, yep. healthier, and want to work for you longer. But from a business perspective, 
now that everybody is open and accepting of technology, I can Zoom with somebody across yeah. the world and it's normal. We can still have the same business formalities, the same meeting formalities that we would before, but now it's all virtual and everybody's more accepting of it. So instead of saying, oh, next time you're in town, let's catch right. up, let's chat. My, I have a friend in Nashville and we have virtual happy hours all the time now. And our, for our second time, we're like, why didn't we do this before? <laughs> why, why did it take a global pandemic for right. us to realize right. this is an option and this is okay? And it just, it builds the relationships when you become accepting of that technology and you learn how to work it. And mm -hmm. you're like, okay, this is not all that much different. Yeah, we're not physically here. And as humans, we're social creatures, but this is a way to bridge the gap for the time being. And I think coming from COVID and going into the next phase, whatever it may be, we're gonna say, we've learned, now how can we refine that process? Right. Exactly. How can we build that company culture virtually? How can we build those relationships virtually and still maintain what we had pre-COVID? Mm -hmm. And that I think is the next step for businesses to look at. Because up until now, we've all just been surviving. Some have yeah. learned early on how to thrive because their business was originally set up for it. But now those that weren't set up for thriving are learning, okay, what do we have to do? What changes do we have to make to thrive in this economy, to thrive in this new normal that it is? Yeah. I mean, because it is a new normal that it we're is. in, whether we go to phase three or phase two. And it, and it seems like, you know, with, you know, million people, million of, you know, Louisiana citizens having um, received the vaccinations, you know, we're, we're well on the, on the way of, of hopefully returning to something that we would consider normal. Right. Right. I don't, so. I don't think we'll have, it'll be a long time before we get to 15,000 people at a concert. I would go. Oh, I'd be there. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be there. Oh, man. I'd be there. But it's it's how do we get 15,000 yeah. people? Well, you and I'll get good seats. Oh, we'll get great seats. <laughs> and, and, that, and that's you're going to have that initially, that spark of everybody's. Oh, yeah, I'm going. Yeah, yeah. I'm going. Yeah, I'm going. But it's how do we get back to that level where everyone yeah. wants to do it? And you don't get those that are looking at you like, wait, you went to that concert? Like, all right, you sit over there. Yeah. And how do you how do you break that up to get back to a not it's not going to be a normal. It's going to be a new because yep. the old is probably never going to come back. So it's what is our new? What does that look like? And how can we regain that sense of community in person? Because, mm -hmm. gosh, now if we can go to a phase three or whatever, by the time people are listening to the podcast of this, we might be in phase three because yep. it'll come to out, out two weeks from now. But for those that are like, oh, yeah. Now we're going to bars on Thursdays and Fridays. Now we're going to places that were originally closed are now open and we're loving it. And I think that is going to be something that people are just waiting for, waiting to get back out in the community and do something. No, I think so. I really do. I think that, uh, and I think you're seeing that in a lot of areas, right? Yeah. You're seeing it in, you've seen it in Florida for an extended period of time. Um, you know, I think you've got, you know, Texas is Mississippi or are, are moving into a more aggressive uh a little more aggressive. A little more aggressive. <laughs> no mask. We're going to go straight yeah, into, 100%. I don't care what phase we're in, but back. we're, no mask. And so uh, that's, yeah, I think, you know, that's a healthy spot to be going forward um, yeah. for, for everybody. I think the, the mask, while certainly, you know, the, the purpose was there, it's just still, it's such a disconnect and hardly recognize someone. Yeah, it's you. You don't recognize the people anymore when they have them on because I mean it covers up what right. thirty percent of your face <laughs> at least. And you're like, who who is who is this person? You know, wh wh who are you? But then you're like, oh, I didn't recognize you with the mask on. You know, because we we recognize people by their faces. Absolutely. And, and so, I have a hard time hearing, so I got I got a lip read. So uh, it's this, really mic, this, mic, this mic is really doing wonders. Then. <laughs> it's really really difficult for me with the mask. And oh so. yeah, <laughs> but it's okay. So we're 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 moving. We're hopefully moving out of this. Yeah. And with the interest rates being so low, getting back to GMFS, a lot of people refinanced. I know, you know, we were we were in that crew that said, you know, it makes fe it makes feasible sense. How do you go about promoting that to people in a way that they're not scared? Because it's it's a the COVID's a terrifying moment, right? Yep. People don't want to make any change. They don't want to adjust anything. How do you get out there and incentivize them and encourage them to say, hey, it's going to benefit you in the long run to do something now and take advantage of this? Well, you know, uh, we, we've been fortunate to have, you know, historically low rates for really since, you know, 2010. Now they've, bought, they've bumped up and down a little bit along the way, but, you know, we've, we've had interest rates, you know, 3% for an extended period of time. Now, recently we've seen them fall below 3%. And, you know, it's, it's for, for anyone that is planning on staying in their home for, you know, another two, three, four, five years, 
look depending upon where your rate is, it, it's a it's a mathematical equation, right? right? I can save a hundred dollars a month. I'm going to be here for this long of time, and it's going to cost me this amount of money to do it. Does it make sense? Yeah. Um, and it's a simple process. We're getting appraisal waivers to where you only have to get appraisal. We're getting income waivers for people. So the, the process of getting a mortgage, especially on a refinance, is simplified significantly over the course of the last several years. Um, and I would, you know, I would, you know, what we're seeing too, what I thought when this pandemic hit, uh, I was, I knew that, that because of interest rates, we would see refinance activity. Now, we're also concerned about people's ability to refinance if they lost their job. Um, right. And so there's a subset of the population that maybe hasn't been able to do that because they've had a job gap. They're going to be coming back in and hopefully they can refinance and take advantage of that. But the purchase side of the business, people buying new homes, I was making a very strong assumption that we would see a significant decline, 50, 75% decline of people buying really? new homes when it first started. Like you oh, couldn't, yeah. when it, you when couldn't go started. to open <laughs> houses. Nobody wanted to leave their house. Um, who wants to get movers in their house to move them out? But it was amazing to me. Um, we saw that the level of purchases, even from the beginning of the pandemic, begin to elevate. And and we've seen that throughout this. And I think more and more people are spending time at home. They're looking and saying, maybe I need a bigger house. Maybe I want to add on. We're seeing a lot of renovation opportunities, a lot about of pools. To go there. Yeah, the renovations uh, are huge. Yeah, and so people aren't able to go and do as much as they had been a year ago. And so now I think many of them are like, we're going we're gonna to put that money. We're not going to go take that trip to Disney World because – that would be terrible to begin with. Yeah, we with. can't go. Or uh, would it be great? Because you can only have 100 people there. <laughs> no lines. No Imagine lines. Disney World with yeah. no lines. And so we'll, we'll take the money we're spending. We're going to make some enhancements to, to the house. And so, um, and that's good. That's good for the neighborhoods. That's good for the community. And uh, and I think people have, people have kind of drawn back into the community today more so than, than we were a year ago. Just people are out walking more. People are seeing their neighbors more. Um you know, people are spending a little bit more time, you know, oh. in their in their area. People are going back to what is most important to them, which for a lot of people is family. Yep. Spending time with the ones they love because in our normal nine to five pace that we've had over this last year of COVID, you know, before that it was always running. Yeah. And we were going, going, going. We would wake up, go to work, come home, wake up, go to work, come home. It was a repeat process. And then COVID for those that had to stay home was like, Oh wow, this is a different this is a different pace. Yeah. You know. Some people started new businesses, as yes, as our, our guests, you know, yesterday, they started a new, a new business in the midst of COVID because they couldn't go to work, they couldn't do anything, and had all this free time. Yeah. Others have been so fearful of losing their jobs, they've done whatever they could to make sure they kept their jobs. And others are like, you know what? My home really isn't that great to living here. <laughs> My home's got a great bed. Yep. It's got a great bathroom. But I'm cooking a lot more. Mm-hmm. I'm spending a lot more time in my den and those ceilings are very low right now. Right. And so they've been looking into what can we do to make the home better. And then that's where it comes into the rebuild or the renovation. Mm-hmm. And then GMFS can is coming in and saying, hey, great. Yep. We can help you out with that. You know? And we can. And that's been, you know, our construction department um, has been something we started about seven, eight years ago. And it is it's it's overwhelmed with the amount of opportunities right now, whether it be, you know, renovating, doing a, re, you know, renovation to your home, which we handle, um, or building a new home. Um, it's, uh, it's really exciting to see, you know, we, our, our, that group is such a strong group and, you know, their ability to work with the builders and the borrowers and keep that process going, uh, has been, has been phenomenal. Yeah. Cause that's the, the most important side of when you're going to purchase a home or going to do any type of renovation or acquisition or whatever is that financing side. Because that's the main thing that they ask you as a re- as a realtor is going to ask the buyer. Okay, well, do you have financing in place? That's right. Can you put in a <clears throat> solid offer? Is your offer valid? You know, and sometimes they'll call the lender or they'll call the banker and say, "Hey, is this a good offer? Can we count on it?" Because they want to make sure that if they spend the time as a realtor with this person or that if the contractor spends time with this individual, that at the end of the day, they're also going to get paid. No, there's no question about it. It's one of the first things we do um, with with anyone that you know that we're in touch with is, you know, get your pre-qualification. And we say this, we've, I, we used to do a radio show talking about, you know, financial education. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's critically important. We'll get to that in a second. But 
the, you know, for if you're looking to buy a home, the first thing you need to do is figure out what you can afford, what you're comfortable affording. Um, what you can afford and what you're comfortable of affording are, can That's be two different, different things. things. That's right. Um, and so know what it, know what, you know, know what you need to put down. You know, what is the down payment requirement? What is the monthly, you know, your monthly note? What is the insurance? What are the taxes going to be? So get your full picture of what, you know, the cost and, and obligations are so that you can make that decision when you go out there. And then when you see that house, you can execute and react very quickly and know I've got, I've got everything set up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit, hit the bid, tell them to put the purchase agreement in and, yeah. and be done with it. Um, but I think financial education is something that we've been advocating to be in public schools forever or in schools forever. You know, we see oftentimes, you know, young people, even older people, um, not fully appreciating the impact that, you know, building their credit can have on their life. You know, the difference between having good credit and credit that's subpar is significant when it comes to cost of insurance, um, buying a car, what, what your interest rate's going to be on the car, even getting a house. If you get a house, what, what would the rate be for that? And so it, 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 has, it, it just goes throughout the whole uh, economic impact on, on that, that bar. And with bad credit, you're fighting to, get, to climb out of it. And the financial difficulties are made so much worse because of the cost of, of borrowing. Yeah, and that's understanding your financial picture is huge. You know, it's, I spent a lot of time, you know, I got my degree in accounting and entrepreneurship. And in accounting, we're expected to know and be experts on all this stuff. But when you sit down with a client and you sit down with a potential client and you start asking certain questions, and at the rate in which people don't fully understand their financial situation can for some be alarming. Mm-hmm. It's like, wait, you don't know what, to me, with this skewed mindset of an accountant is like, well, you don't know X, Y, and Z. But at the end of the day, not everybody's going to know exactly everything. And right. so it's how can you as a lender, how can you as a firm, how can you as a business educate your customers so they do know as much as they need to know and can know for their specific circumstance? Yeah. And, and that's one of the things we do, right? So when, when someone gets in touch with us, we, we get their information, we pull the credit, um, we evaluate the credit and we, we give them, you know, you're either, yes, great, perfect, good shape. We can move forward or, Hey, guess what? You know, there are a couple challenges here. And these are the things that we need to do. Um, did you know about this particular delinquency? Did you know about this particular charge? Sometimes like, no, I did not know at all. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, well, we need to get in touch with that creditor and we need to make some, you know, petition them to make some adjustments or we need to build credit. Right. So part of that is sometimes people call us and, they just don't have credit, you know, which is, that's okay, but we need to start working on getting some credit so that you can be uh, evaluating, get a credit score so that you're in a position to be able to not just buy a house, but, but also do the other things that you want to um, from, on the financial side of, of yeah. your life. Because it's, some people may see, oh, I don't need a, a credit card, or I don't need a car note, and they pay for everything with cash, and they think it's great. It's like, well, that's, that is great for you as an individual, but when you look at going for a larger purchase right. in which you don't have all that cash creditors base you on your history. Absolutely. You know, and it's, and for some people, they may think, well, it's, you know, I always make, I can always make my payments. I make this. And it's like, well, you know that, but you also have to take into account creditors see a lot of people. That's right. You see a lot of inquiries to get a loan, to do the X, Y, and Z. We have to look at it from an approach that is uniform, that we know we can trust. Mm -hmm. And so while word is great, we also have to look at that credit. And so the financial, like you said, the financial literacy, the financial education of people is huge from y'all side of things is saying, great, you've done well, you've done this. Let's take X, Y, and Z steps to start working and building to something that we can get on paper and we can get tangible and we can move forward. No, and, and, that's, and, I, and I think that really starts, you know, I mean, I was fortunate growing up in a, in a household that, that was, you know, financially minded, right? They were in the finance business and, uh, my grand, my other grandfather was principal of of Ashuma High School, uh, and and so he was his own entrepreneur in, in, in his right. But um, there are a lot of families that that don't have that financial dis- literacy discussion, right? The, the mother and the father maybe just don't have that kind of exposure to to that, and that's where I think it's you know through the educational process, children, young adults need to know, need to get educated. Because again, it, 
it can really set them back. I mean, it can really make it very difficult for them to be able to, to achieve some of the dreams that they have just because of some lack of knowledge and some yeah. little few um, missteps. A, a lack of knowledge and a, a missed step they could have taken at a young age yep. that would have played, you know, massive dividends in the end. You know, whether it be, oh, taking step A and holding on to that line, that, that, that specific account for so long and doing everything right can build you up in the long run. Or if you didn't, now you got to start from ground zero. Right. You know, and even below ground zero. Or, yeah, or below ground zero. We have, because we have no history of you. That's right. We are, getting, we, you, just exi- you just existed to us. Yeah. And then, <laughs> you know, you, you see the payday loans and those types of, of you know, finance type, type structures that, that are very detrimental to, to somebody's ability to be able to, to even get up to get to, to zero. Right. They, they stay, uh, blew out my shoe. yeah Yeah. and it's so it's starting in the education system starting at a young age and telling people you can start taking more steps to better you in the long run it's kind of where we can start but it's also how do we reach people where they're at and say hey you know come into the office or zoom or skype or whatever let's sit down let's talk about your financial situation let's educate you and while you may not be ready today Let's start putting into steps where you can be ready tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. And that is so huge from a business standpoint, whether you're a lender, a banker or whatnot, to educate your customers. Because in the end, if you educate them and you teach them all this stuff, they're going to come back to who taught them. And that's really what we do. Um, You know, we we have a credit scoring um, process where we can look at how people build credit. We say, if you do these things, your credit score will be adjusted to this over time. So it may take us three months. It may take us six months. And we put them in a process. We touch base with them every month and say, look, you know, how are you, how are we doing? Did we hit the steps that we needed to? And those folks that are committed to do that, they sail through that process and, you know, three months, six months, nine months, however long it takes. Um, we're certainly willing to work with folks to help them achieve that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, you know, I love that about what y'all do and what y'all bring to the table with GMFS is that whole inclusive picture. It's not just a single product. It's a process. And like you said, changing lives. You know? Absolutely. That's what y'all are about. It is. It is. <laughs> it really is. It's, it's something that's very significant to us. And, uh, and we've been very fortunate to be involved in this community for as long as we have. I grew up in Baton Rouge and um, raised my family here. My, got my oldest daughter having twins soon. So, uh, so You're not going anywhere is what you're saying. Well, I need to get them back here. They live in California, but oh, well. <laughs> or at least closer for that matter. Yeah, got to pull Otherwise them back Otherwise my in. wife won't be here much. Ah. <laughs> so as, we, as we're starting to kind of wind down the show and get towards the end of it, yeah. um, I have a set of bullet questions, but by yeah. no means are they short answers. Um, over the course of your career and over the course of your adventure with your businesses, you've probably gathered a lot of lessons along the way. What are some lessons that you've learned throughout this journey thus far? I think the number one thing is you need to treat people fairly. You need to be honest with them. Um, You need to be compassionate. Uh, You need to put yourself in a position where you you maybe reflect what their challenges are. Uh, You need to build a culture that, that provides people an opportunity to to be successful, uh, and in doing so, uh, people will thrive. Yeah, that's 100%. You know, it's that building the culture, building your team, building your family within the business, and people love it. So what is something that you did as a kid you wish you still could, to, still could do today had no one stopped you? Wow. Um, what I did as a kid, no one stopped me. Yeah, had no one stopped you, what is something you'd love doing as a kid that you wish you could still do today? Well, I mean, the most of the things I did as a kid, I still do today. So, uh, <laughs> so no one stopped you. That's right. <laughs> and so, um, you know, that's a good question. I don't, I don't, really, I don't really know. I, I don't really have anything as a kid that I, I mean, physically. I mean, I wish I was a little bit uh, stronger and faster and more agile. But, um, so I had that, kid's, that kid uh, physical mobility. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, I, I mean, as a kid, I, I had a great upbringing and was fortunate to do a lot of different things. So I, 
more, more time, right? Yeah. Somebody hadn't stopped me from summer vacation. <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> no, honey, we have to stay home and work on the business. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> so was there ever a point in your career where you wanted to like stop or throw in the towel? No, um, there was there was a time in 2007 that was was probably from a business. Well, I'd say 98 and 99 uh, were were two very or a seven month eight month period with United Companies was was a very difficult period for for emotionally for not just me but the family. It was grandfather's business, and you know it, it ultimately you know, ended in bankruptcy. And so that was that was a that was a really tough period. Um, and then 2007, you know, just merely, you know, seven, eight years after that, um, our GMFS um, hit a really tough time as, a, as an industry. And we went from 165 employees to 40. Oh, wow. And um, it was, uh, we lost all our capital in 2007. And we had to, we had to recapitalize. Uh, we bridged it along the way. And uh, that would say that was, a, that was probably the hardest period of time, looking at people in the face and saying, you know, we, you, you're not, we're not, we, we can't have you anymore. Right? Yeah. We don't have a room for you anymore. It's not you. Um, it's more us, but it's more the industry. And um, I, I would, you know, I, I think I lost about 15 pounds during that, during that 12 month period of time. I didn't sleep much, but also was not ever going to quit. I mean, I was going to go down fighting on that deal. And, and we're fortunate that we were able to, to bridge it. I mean, most of our competitors that were involved with us at that time were went out of business. I think over 300 businesses that were comparable to ours were, were out of business um, during yeah. a 12-month period. And um, fortunately for us, we started building back as in, in um, the middle part of 2008 and hired many of those folks back, which I'm really thankful that they were willing to come back. Uh, but many of those folks came back and and so we went from, you know, we started at 24, went to 165, back to 40. Now we're at 320. And so it's been a, it's been a quite a ride. Yeah. It's been incredible. And what was, what was something you did to kind of tell yourself, no, you can't quit? You know, what, what was that overcoming factor? Of, I think fear of failure. Okay. It really was. I was like, I remember talking to my dad and I like one, I, I can't fail. Yeah. I, I I just, I, I can't fail. I, I've got to do whatever I need right. to do to make this yeah. business succeed. Whether we go from, you know, 160 to 40 to 10 to four to right. just me, you got to make it happen. We got to, we got to be successful. We got to succeed. We got to get across. We just had to get from where we were to another spot so that we could start building back. Yeah. Which is, you know, from a, a startup standpoint, for example, those entrepreneurs that start their brand, they have to have that mentality too. You know, yep. we can't, we can't fail. You got to treat this like you're all in, you know, you can't halfway be into your startup and say, oh, well, maybe if it doesn't, if it fails, we're just going to go to something yeah, else. I've you know? seen but some of those guys. Yeah. And, 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 <laughs> and, and for some, it's, it's that risk aversion that they're, they're, they're afraid to take that risk. They're afraid to take that leap and they don't know when to take that leap. Mm -hmm. You know, ultimately that's what it comes down to is when do I take that leap? When do I jump off in the deep end and just go for it? And fortunately for us, we were, we were pushed off the high diving board right into the deep end in, in 1999. You know, we, we, if nothing had happened there, we probably would have, you know, kind of gone along the way there. Um, but because something did happen, we were forced to start, start the business. Yeah. And, and so and then once we were all in and seven hit, we're like, hey, we, we gotta keep paddling. We've come too far now. That's right, right? And and keep paddling here. You get to that point when you've come too far that the difficult moments just say, you know, maybe a slap in the face, but we're going to, we're going to push through it. We're going to push know, back. And, and, and I'm, you know, I'm really fortunate. I get to be the guy that gets to talk, but I'm really fortunate with, with my partners that I have. And, you know, with, with uh, Jeff Weston and Tom DeArmond and Billy Maxwell that started. And today we've got, you know, uh, 21, 20 people on a management call every Monday. And I like to name them all, but they're all equally important with relative to, to what they do and how they take care of the employees. And we have a very flat organization and, you know, and uh, they're, they're, they're really instrumental in making sure that they not only buy into the culture, but they live the culture and making sure that there's uh, the, the things that we believe in and things that are successful for the company, you know, gets pushed all the way through to everybody. Yeah. hundred percent. So for the final few questions, what do you love about Baton Rouge? You know, I mean, Baton Rouge is home, right? I mean, so Baton Rouge is just the memories. Uh, there's just things that, I mean, I've just, I used, I grew up in Westminster, uh, right over there off of Drusilla. And every now and then I'll just drive through, 
I went to we- I went to Westminster Elementary School until sixth grade, and every now and then I just drive through there, just kind of you know re- remember the old days and all the families that, that lived in those homes. But um, the f- the friends, you know, just the the number of people that I grew up with that are still here, uh, and that and the relationships that we have that you know to, to have a relationship as a child or a young adult is different than a relationship that you're afforded when you meet somebody when you're 40 or 50. Oh, 100%. You, you just don't get the chance to have that kind of connect connectivity and 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 time to spend together to build that relationship. And so um, being here and having those types of relationships um, for for as long as I've had is something that's just critically important. Yeah, I mean, having a, having a friend from the age of like two or three. Yeah. You know everything about them. You know their history. You know their past. When you meet somebody when they're 40, you get 40 years of stories to get right. through, which makes a great opportunity to build some new friends because you're going to have endless things to talk about, but you don't have that connectivity like you do with somebody who's been around since you were born or been around since you were growing up in middle school, high school, whatever it may be. And so staying within that community is huge mm-hmm. because you know all the relationships, you know all the people, and it's just home. You know, absolutely. And that's what I've asked that question many a times. And the response has always been the community, the people here, and it's just home. Yep. So for the final question, what can I do to help you? Well, I appreciate this opportunity right now. I mean, this is a great opportunity for us for, to get a chance to visit with you on, on your show. And congratulations for all that, that you're doing. And well, thank you. Uh, we, we appreciate the venue and, you know, we want to try to continue to, you know, promote GMFS to, to make continue to have our employees successful so we can continue to give back to the community that we love and and do continue to do as much as possible to to make a difference and change people's lives. Absolutely. And that's y'all are every single day y'all are doing one step more towards that goal, towards achieving that goal and accomplishing that goal every day. And we have great people and thank God we do. It <laughs> makes it makes it a lot easier. Oh my gosh, yeah. People make up an organization. You know, people are at the end of the day, people are the organization and everything they do during the day makes the organization all the better. Uh, no doubt about it. Well, thank you so much for coming. Thank on the you. Show. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you for taking your time. Of course. Busy day on this surprisingly chilly Tuesday. It's kind of <laughs> came up out of nowhere. I think we're in the uh, from from the Louisiana temperature scale. We're in the second or third winter. I think okay, it's somewhere yeah. along because you have like a false a false spring happened a couple like last week was false spring. Yes. Now we're in like our third or second winter. Week before was <laughs> miserable. Oh we haven't seen it in, in, in 40 years. I think they said yeah. it was. Yeah. But I'm appreciative of your yeah. time. And Thank for you very on the much. Show. I, appreciate I appreciate it. it. Absolutely. And yeah. for, for those listening or those watching, whatever uh, platform you're consuming this on, I thank you. And I know our guests do. And so, you know, you've listened to this latest rendition of the Patty G Show with me, Patty G, and T Brown from GMFS. Thank you all so very much for tuning in. And as always, this show is brought to you by Alvarez Construction. Y'all, if you want to go and find a place to raise a family, to build your dream, they do that for you. They are in the community. They're building dreams. They're building homes every single day. Check them out and tell them Patty G sent y'all. That's all we've got for this one. Thank you all so much and have a good night.